Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In 1936, Kansas City native Charlie Parker took to the stage at 16 years old and played so poorly that Count Basie's drummer threw a cymbal at his head. The act encouraged the saxophonist to become one of the hardest working musicians to ever live, and years later, Parker changed the music world forever. Since then, the music scene in Kansas City has gone through lots of changes, and this is a show dedicated to modern-day musicians who live and play in the pairs of the plains. From Tribune Audio Network, I'm Kendall Swank, and this is the Crazeology Podcast. In 2001, Ben Folds released his first solo album after playing in his own rock group, Ben Folds 5. For fans, it was a much different sound than they're used to. Ben Folds 5 is remembered for their harder approach with piano music, and more notably, the song about Folds and his high school girlfriend having an abortion called Brick. Four years later, after the release of Rock in the Suburbs, Folds released his second full-length solo album called Songs for Silverman. For anyone who's ever listened to Ben Folds, this has become his iconic style and it continues in his music today. This is Landed by Ben Folds. We'd hit the bottom I thought it was my fault And in a way I guess it was I'm just now finding out what it was all about We moved to the west coast Away from everyone She never told me that you called Back when I was still I was still in love Until I opened my eyes and walked out the door And the clouds came tumbling down And it's
Folds has a new memoir out called A Dream About Lightning Bugs, A Life of Music and Cheap Lessons. The book follows Folds' life as he grows up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and moves throughout his life. But one of the things I found so interesting was how Folds grew up surrounded by a variety of social classes and how that impacted him as a person. Well, it was formative. I felt like it was access, you know? We don't all have access to um, all, uh, as, as, as many slices of um, the uh, you know, socioeconomic uh, strata as I happen to have, you know? I don't think that at the time I would have considered it uh, an asset. It's too many codes and things to learn and too many clubs that you're not in is what it felt like me, to me at the time. But to look back on it, 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 it I believe it, it, um, it gives you more of a sense of observation. One, for the reason you've got access to all these different things, and secondly, because um, uh, you know, you're not really part of any of it. When, you're, when you don't really feel like you're in a club, you, you're, you're observing. Um, and I think that had to have helped uh, in my songwriting career. I, I would think it, it did. I don't say necessarily that it did in the book. I just lay them out. Cause and effect can be uh, hard to chase down, but I think that's true. Well, and, and you said though that you know you had memories going back to when you're two years old. So, and then you kind of wrote some of your songs later based on your childhood growing up. So, what were a couple of those songs? Well, I mean, I think of songs like um, you know, boxing. It's a waltz about Muhammad Ali and and, um, and uh, Howard Cosell. Howard, the strangest things have happened lately when I take a good swing at all my dreams they pivot and slip I drop my fists and they're back laughing Howard my intentions become to lose what I want Ambition has given way To desperation And I lost the fight from my eyes Boxing's been good to me speaks to the my fandom and my father's fandom of uh, of uh, boxing in the 70s and um, sort of being able to use it as a as a metaphor for other things and getting old and, and uh, you know Muhammad Ali would quit and then he'd come back and then he'd quit and then he'd come back and uh, the relationship he had with Howard Cosell I mean, you know this television not a story for my life but you know that's part of your childhood sometime is and boxing was a was a big thing around the house so that's the first thing that occurs to me um, 
many songs I've written have, have pulled from past experiences, but not necessarily because it was something I wanted to always write about, but because there was a feeling I was getting in the song, and I realized that that, that, that was it. Nice. One of the things that you wrote um, that really stood out to me, and it's fairly early in the book too, um, you wrote, stand in as many shoes as you can manage, even in ones you consider reprehensive or repulsive, even if it's just for a moment. And you say you're writing this from a songwriter's perspective, a childhood tourist as you call it. Um, what benefits did that type of thinking really have for you personally, uh, for you professionally, and do you really think that you need to be an artist to be able to to try and think this way, or how no, could people no. I don't think you need to be an artist to do to do anything. But I do think being an artist, if you're listening to uh, the things that are working for your art, are often good lessons in life, you know, mm -hmm. or vice versa. I mean, most of my the first part of my life, I would say, I was taking from life everything, my savings, my friends, my time, my sleep, um, stories, and all those things. Later on, you start to realize, oh, well, there's wisdom in the way that these things are put together. There is wisdom in, in, in my not looking back on, say, you know, an old fellow that uh, was patting me on the head, gave me a piece of candy, and I found out he was in the Klan later. Not writing that guy off. Um, it's easier to write him off. But I think my experience in songwriting is that it's, and story writing in general, is that it's so much more compelling if you can acknowledge that the guy is a human with good and bad traits who has made what we think are horrible choices that hurt other people and there's a lot of weakness in that and you can say you can do better you can hold them accountable plus it makes for more of a compelling character it's not compelling to just say oh that person is just a bad person it's boring he's just being as I said in the book he's just being the best monster he can be it's like if you just say bad person bad person bad person, bad person. it's like great he's doing a great job at being a bad person. Um, I, I would prefer to say, you know, could be a good person in there has made terrible choices. You can change your choices. And it's it, it opens up a dialogue too in real life that I wouldn't have really necessarily gone for. You know, especially now it's like things are so torn socially and politically uh, that you just tend to demonize someone really quickly. And I think it's a lot more compelling to look at the Look at the good and the bad, and then hold them accountable for it, rather than just write them off as a as a Satan. How, how do you think the people can actually do that? Because, you, like you said, we are so divided right now, and there is a lot of just strange stuff that's constantly happening every day. Um, I, how how does one person really look at somebody who they perceive as a demon? Obviously, you say they need to change their their choices. Well, they need to observe more. Observe more. You need to observe more of, 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 there's more to the story than just a little part that is not agreeing with you. I'm not like, man, I'm not like some kind of, you know, uh, um, counselor or something right. this stuff, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not speaking from like, yeah, I know. But from my experience, I mean, I, I, I grew up in a household. My, my father's very, very right, right wing. Um, he also is the only person I know who completely powers his house with solar energy. So, you know, even within something that you would think was political, you can't just check all the boxes off and say that's exactly, you know, that's, that, that's more convenient. It's like so if you play jazz, you have to play these chords, or if you play country, you have to wear a, a, a white hat. Everyone, right. everyone, everyone's different. I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone about getting on one side or the other, the political thing, very easily because it's all too compelling. 
but it's boring after a while. It doesn't. I mean, if you had to write about that, it's the most boring thing in the world. What's more interesting, as as I said, is the is the guy who pats you on the head, gives you a piece of candy. You think he's a great guy, and then you find out that he's been lynching people. Okay, well that's that's to me compelling. There's so much more to that. He's got kids. The stories of of. Um, you know of of uh, uh, Auschwitz, where where, where the, the the children of the people who were running the joint, they were taking care of their kids. The kids thought their parents were wonderful. That's 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 more. That's what stories are made out of, and that's what what communication is made out of. The other thing is a circus, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not. I understand. You know, but it's not. It doesn't make for the best writing. And I think the fact that I didn't feel like the rich kid in school, or the upper class kid, which were often two different kids, or the black kid, or the county kid with the big redneck accent, or the academic kid. All these that I didn't, that they were really solidly represented and split. And with some, the fact that I didn't identify with any of them meant that I could choose from the, oh, that's good and that's bad. Well, that's good and that's bad, and that's good and that's bad. And I think that that's, that's useful in character writing. Fold's lyrics are like a master's class in storytelling and character development, and that's one of the more compelling aspects of his music. Since his first two albums, Fold's has put out several EPs, collaborative albums, and three more full-length albums. You can hear Fold's mastery of songwriting in all of them, but specifically in Capable of Anything off the 2015 album So There.
but you don't seem to think that you can fly so low or sink so high that you could ever love again or even try that you could steal or cheat or kill or lie If you're enjoying this episode of the Crazeology Podcast, make sure to click subscribe to hear other episodes. Hear my conversations with Madison and Ruth Ward of Madison Ward and the Mama Bear, Isaac Flynn and Alex Ward of the electronic band Pembry, and a former contestant on The Voice, Cassie Joy. You can find all episodes on fox4kc.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Ben Folds about his memoir, A Dream About Lightning Bugs, A Life of Music and Cheap Lessons. Um, another thing that I really like that you did in the book is you took an entire section to thank every grade school, middle school, high school music teacher that you had. And you also encouraged musicians to go back to their grade schools, middle schools, high schools, and, uh, and substitute teach for a day. Yeah. So why did you think that, like, you know, in a memoir, something that you're trying to put out, why did you think that that was something that really needed to be included? And why do you want to challenge those musicians to take that step and actually try and teach? Well, I think they'll learn something from it, first of all. They might just actually give something back. You know, they, they, they do that for uh, 60 kids. What they'll probably find is that they think they failed to get through to 58 of them. Um, but, you know, if one or two or three or four, someone that wasn't, uh, that could change your life. I mean, I, I had a, I had a um, uh, Paul Schaefer came through my college, and I already had a good college. Everything was going fine. But something about a couple of things he said really hit me. And God, I'm glad he took the time. I know he got paid, but I mean, I'm so glad he took the time to do it. You need to pass stuff down. In rock music, we don't pass that much down because you age out of rock music, you're not cool, and kids don't listen to you anyway. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of, uh, you know, you went to University of Miami for a short stint. Um, you ended up moving back home for a little bit. And then you finally found your first mentor. Um, and what changed in you, obviously outside of transitioning from trying to be a drummer or a professional drummer to a piano mm. player, what like changed in you after that year of getting hands-on crafting of you as a person, you as a musician? Well, there's nothing there's no better way of learning than mentorship. You can't, I mean, there's no book in the world, there's no class in the world to have someone sitting with you and actually um, also recognizing and listening to what what you're saying, what you need to know and hearing passing personal stories. I mean, what changed in me, I was a better musician, you know. Um, as well, it made enough of an impression uh, on me, obviously, to mention that in the book and possibly to be the kind of person who would like to do what he did for me and to pass that down to someone else. Half the reason I learned uh, the darkroom as well as I did over many, many years was to pass that skill down to another generation, which I've yet to do. I've never had anyone that wanted to learn printing. So. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, I know we're running out of time. You're short on time. Uh, one of the other things that you talked about was um, you needed at some point to craft your artistic thumbprint. 
So what is that for someone who doesn't really understand you know, the arts as, as well as somebody who lives inside of them? And when did you finally say, I think that I have my sound, who I am that I'm portraying? Well, that discovery of your sound and your voice is, is constant. You know, constantly because you change and so you know the and 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 it's the most elusive thing because every the thing that that makes an artist great is the thing that the artist is the only one that can't see it they see all the other stuff but they don't see that one it's like it's like you know looking in the mirror or it's like um hearing your voice in your skull you don't really hear what your voice sounds like. You don't really know what it's like to stand in a room with yourself. Yeah. I'll never go out front uh, of my own shows and see it. I can see someone films it, but I don't, I'm not actually there. I don't know what it's like to not have never heard my music before, so I have no idea what the song sounds like. No idea. So that puts you in the unique position of, of being utterly blind about, uh, about, about your voice. Um, generally, I, I, I do believe that, that the, the, the discovery of artistic voice is a, a, sub, as a subtractive process. Usually it's things that are in the way. You know, you're holding yourself in some way that's not... Again, to the mirror, it's like you know, trying to find that perfect <laughs> face when you're looking in the mirror. What I said early on in the book, just in passing, was sometimes you walk past a mirror, you walk past a storefront, and you don't know that's you you saw. That unique tiny moment before you catch yourself and you know that's you, you thought it was another person. That's what you're constantly in search of when you're writing a song or when you're, when, or, or when you're finding your voice. It's all subtractive. It's usually tension. Honestly, the finding of artistic voice is usually tension. Because as you grow older, then you know, even your muscles, you just get, make it not even about the spirit, make it about muscles. You get older, your physiology changes. But you're used to hearing that same thing that you've always heard. So you look for it. But you have to contort yourself to get there, so that's not your voice. You need to subtract that and see who the new, who the new dude is. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's the most frustrating thing to do for an artist. There's a lot of uh, imitation, then there's a lot of rejection of the people who you imitated, and then there's the constant frustration that everyone can see it but you. Usually when you find it, it seems so simple. You know, if you've ever taken a lesson, tennis lesson or anything, it's like, Suddenly, you hit a like hit a two-handed backhand, and you hear the sound. It was perfect. You kind of felt it, but it didn't feel like you thought it would. It was too easy, and went flying across the thing. It's like it's so easy. That's the way it is. Find the voice, and next time you want to find, it, it's like I got it this time. Choke. This is tough. I feel for anyone finding that first chunk of their voice. It's so utterly frustrating. If you're not tearing your hair out, you're probably doing it wrong. So did you think you found it with Ben Folds 5, or do you think it came even after that when you started the solo well, stuff? Well, it came before and after. I mean, okay. Ben Folds 5 was a voice that, that I found. I mean, right prior to doing the record, we were doing some tapes sometimes and recording. and I was still too tense. It wasn't until, because we made the record, for, we made a version of the record that spent our entire budget, and we vaulted it, and we went and made the second one, and it was a... You would think that that was kind of like back to tennis, or you think it was the second serve, like uh, I, we could really choke. It was only three thousand. We couldn't do it on fourteen thousand. Now, how are we supposed to be able to do it on on three and a half? But something about it's freeing too. Just went for it, and um, in going for it, found found the voice. It was just. It was. I knew it was. I knew it was make or break. I knew that it, the record we had could not come out like that, and we had to do it. 
in five days. And, and I, I, I think something about that pushes you to, to the voice. I don't know what it was, but, but suddenly it was like, I was hearing it coming out of the speaker. And I didn't even recognize it. I was like, I've never heard this before. I'd never heard that before. Still one of the most brilliant moments in my life to just, every time the, the play was pressed, it was like, what is this? It's so good. I haven't had that experience since then, except for with um, William Shatner. Because oh, I'd never heard that record. I'd never heard that record before. I've still never heard that record. No one's ever made that record. Has been. That's his record. So that was the same thing, playing it going, damn. All right. Go, Bill. That's it for this episode of the Crazeology Podcast. Today's episode was produced by myself, Kendall Swank, with production assistance from Mike Simpson and Jacob Orlowski and editing done by Jacob Orlowski. You can find more Crazeology episodes at fox4kc.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben Fold's new memoir is called The Dream About Lightning Bugs, A Life of Music and Cheap Lessons. You can find it online or at bookstores across the country. Until next time, this is Boxing by Ben Folds. Good.